very few exceptions in the church crowd, it's very typical for us to say and to sing, God, you are great. You are great. It's not unusual, that kind of language, that kind of expression. God, even for us, church crowd here, when it's not Sunday, and, and, and when we're not as focused on you as we are trying to be this morning, when it's not Sunday and, and life is just punching us in the face, and it's not just outside stuff, it's the stuff we do to ourselves, we start to wonder, come on, God? Yes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm begging that, especially today, we, we, look, we look now at this huge transition from your bodily presence on the earth to what you tell us in the Gospel of John. It is for our benefit that you go away, that the Holy Spirit may come. God, help us to see that you are great even when we think you're not so great. That you're faithful when we are not faithful. That you're reliable. That you're wise. That your ways are good. God, help us, help us to see your big plan here. And the highest honor of our lives is that we get to be a part of this big master plan that you're unfolding still to this day. God, help us to leave here this morning with a sense of calling on our lives that this great God is incorporating me in this great global task. Might we leave with a renewed sense of, of not arrogance, but significance and purpose. Please, God, speak to our hearts now, would you please? In your name we ask. Amen. Thank you. May be seated. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts. I want to look at Acts chapter 2. Eventually, I want to give you a good amount of, of background. Set the text for you. Acts chapter 2 is what we call what the Bible calls the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was one of seven annual feast events for the nation of Israel. Uh, it was not only one of seven events, it was one of, depending on who you talk to, either three or four, as much as it could be enforced, required pilgrimage events. That is to say that many of the seven events and they were mostly set around the agricultural cycle, planting and harvesting. Not all of them, but most of them were structured around that planting and harvesting rhythm. Pentecost is one that you, you just can't go to your your local synagogue and 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 and, and have you know a, a, a big Sabbath ceremony because it's it's one of the feast days. No, this one. We, we all need to go to the temple in Jerusalem. And that was Pentecost. Because it was harvest time. It was about gathering and giving thanks to God for the fruits of the field. And he's about to turn it into a spiritual thing. No, we're about to get some spiritual fruit and you'll see it as we get to the passage. 
But even before we get to the passage, Acts chapter 2, of the, this event itself, uh, I want to give you some, some background, and we're going to do this real quickly. Um, in Numbers chapter 11, it's um, what's happening here is Moses is exhausted because he's the guy. And when you need advice, and when you need someone to give a ruling on an on a, on a unsolved matter between two brothers, between two clans, two families, twelve tribes of Israel, anytime something of significance came up, well, let's go ask Moses, let's go ask Moses, and it fell into this routine that a lion, a lion would build up outside his tent, and people just wait in line all day long, and that's all he does all day long, it's your problems to solve. And he's exhausted. And he's murmuring. Like, all of us who have responsibilities, come on! I need some help here. Get off my back. You can't figure this out for yourself. <laughs> Not written that way, but that's the sense I get. And his father-in-law says, "Look, you, you, you need to delegate some of this. Now, some things they, they got to come just to you. But some things you can delegate." And so that's that's implemented, and God seems to approve because He empowers others. With this, here it comes, this spirit to speak on God's behalf. It's right in the Old Testament book of Numbers. It's as old as the days of Moses. That God is empowering these people, these men, these 70 elders, to represent God, to speak on God's behalf, and to give good wisdom in ruling through these issues. Well, what happens is that, that these 70, once they were picked, and, and, and they went to this place, and, and they, they left the community, the, the, the larger crowd, and they went to this place, and, and two of them, and their names are given of, of Eldad and Medad. So, I'm always trying to help you mothers here, fathers, if you have any sons coming soon, and you're looking for some good biblical names. <laughs> Eldad and Medad, put on your list. Well, rather than follow the other 68 of these 70 and follow them and, 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 and do whatever they were doing, they began to speak amongst the community. And, and word quickly got right. Hey, what, what are you doing? You can't do that. You can't do that. And Joshua says, you, you know Moses and Joshua. Joshua's like his, his lieutenant. Like Joshua wound up replacing Moses at his death. Joshua says, hey, you, you guys stop doing You can't be doing that. You, you can't be doing that. Pick them, stop. Pick them, stop, Moses. And here comes verse 29. Moses says to Joshua, who's really trying to defend his master. He loves Moses, loves him. Moses says, Joshua, are, are you really doing this for me? Are you, are you doing this to protect me? Are you jealous for my name's sake? Do you, do you think I'm being replaced here? Are you jealous for my sake? Now catch this phrase. My prayer would, would to God, my request would be, would that all the Lord's people were prophets. Yeah. Not just 70. All the Lord's people. All that were born again. Not just genetically Hebrew, but, but, but they were in covenant, spiritual, eternal relationship with the living God. I, I, I would pray... I, I would wish, my desire, is that all the truly new God would speak God's truth to people around them. That the Lord would put 
his spirit on them. Well, that's Numbers chapter 11, and I'm about to tell you that's exactly what happened on day Pentecost. That Moses' prayer was answered. Yeah. So this is Numbers 11. Don't think this is some new, bizarre, kind of interesting. I guess God did that to draw more attention, draw a crowd. No, not at all. This has been the heart of God, and his people have caught this for quite some time. Towards the end of the Old Testament, the prophet Joel is stirred by the Spirit of God, and he prophesies. He predicts the future. Joel chapter 2 and verse 28. It will come to pass that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. He gets specific, say, male and female, but I think it's beyond male and female gender. It's it's a, this isn't just a Hebrew thing. Now, this isn't a call to the pastoral ministry. All these people are turned into elders, pastors. But he, I want all people to know the presence and the power of the Spirit and speak, to speak the truth of God to people around them. Moses was praying for it in Numbers 11. Joel was saying it's going to happen. Sons and daughters, young men, old men. And Mark, I didn't give you this passage out of the Gospel of John, so forgive me, but I want to real quick. John, uh, John would put it up. Mark would put it up. Uh, but I didn't give it to him, but just this morning he added it. John chapter 16. I'll do this real quick. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, the helper will not come. The presence of God was bound in the body of Jesus. John 16, verse 7 says, it's to your benefit, speaking to the twelve and the other believers, it's to your benefit that I go away, because if I go away, then the Holy Spirit will come. The presence of God now is in my body with me, but the presence of God will be in the Holy Spirit, and He will give it to all of you. If you're born again, you have the Spirit of God in you. I don't have to go to Jerusalem. I don't have to, like the woman, find Jesus. Oh, there he is. I can't get to him. And she threw himself and her body weight. And as she's falling to the ground, her hand touches the hem of his garment. The power of God changed her life forever. But we don't have to go to Jerusalem and throw ourselves at the body of Jesus. To your benefit, John 16, verse 7, that I go away. For the Spirit will come, and His presence will be in us, and we will all have His truth, and we can speak His words to one another, to encourage, and unbelievers, to give them hope. All of this is what's happening on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2 is, is not some, wow, kind of experience, just, just there it is, and, and it, it's just kind of a standalone, impressive story. No. All of God's planning from Genesis to Moses, and it's all been working, 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 working to this. To the life of Jesus. And, and then the sacrifice of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus. But then the bodily removal of Jesus so the Spirit may come and then we're no longer bound geographically. Jesus in Jerusalem. You want to get saved, you got to buy a ticket, get to Jerusalem, get saved and come on. Now, 
is a huge pivotal point. So, let's go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. They're all gathered to celebrate. Going across the land, and God's been faithful like He is every year. God's been faithful. Even the years that was more mean, none of us starved, and He took care of us. And they would tell those stories, and they would worship, and they would sing songs, and tell stories of, of this year, and years past, and decades past. And it, it was a huge deal. It's 50 days after Passover. And, and here it is. And, Chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. That's kind of interesting. All together in one place. Harmony matters. To be geographically in the same place is not to be emotionally, spiritually in the same place. Surely you're insightful enough to know the difference. They were not only geographically in the same place. They were, as we would say, on the same page. They're feeling one another. The resurrection is clear in their minds. The death, the burial, the resurrection is vivid. God is doing something. And he told us to wait, that power would come. What's it going to look like? How's it going to happen? They were all together. All together. Emotionally, spiritually, geographically, of course, philosophically. God's doing something here. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty, mighty rushing wind. I was raised in a uh, tornado alley, that, that big swath of ground from Houston up to Chicago and the Great Lakes. And, and while they were always around spring and fall, I've literally gone through, I mean, We're in the cellar, and I don't mean a nice finished basement where, you know, it's, the cellar is wet because it's been raining for, seemed like forever, where uh, the faces are in the mud, and mom's crying, and dad's saying, we're going to be okay, we're going to be okay, and I'm thinking, I think we're going to die, <laughs> and this sound of a mighty rushing wind, I get that language. So I had great fun at arm's expense when I went back as a married couple and resuming some education and, and uh, we went through a tornado and, and uh, I just felt bad for her. I knew what to expect. I knew what this was like. She was scared out of her mind. And so the Bible gives us that kind of reference point. They must have felt like we're in the middle of a tornado. Did they even know what a tornado was? <coughs> this wind and the sound of it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now this is where it gets a little weird. Verse 3. A, a shape of a tongue. I don't know how thoroughly you in the mirror looked and analyzed what your tongue looks like. The little see one out of your mouth. And it's hovering, but it's divided. It's hovering over the tops of their heads. And verse 4 is the key. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And I, I want to be very precise without being sarcastic or cruel, or I don't want you to think I'm attacking any one particular or multiple groups of people. The manifestation of this presence of God's presence, the coming of, of God's power, didn't result in chaos. It was linguistic. That's why it's tongues, because it's language. It's how we speak. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. The word tongues bears language, English, French. And in fact, on the printed notes, you see before you this morning, there's listed from verses 2 to 9, and then chapter 2, I'm sorry, down to verse 9, 15 different nations that were all assembled in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And you see a map of it, and you just get a, a, a sense of, of, of pilgrims. That's religious worshipers who've come to Jerusalem because this is such a high holy moment. I, I, I don't want to stay at home. It's better for me to go with other believers and we meet in, in, our, in our open home, the temple in Jerusalem. And, and there we will sing and pray and we will hear instruction and we will worship. But on this Pentecost, oh my goodness, the power of God, because Jesus is left in the flesh, but now Jesus, the, the, the presence of God, is coming in the person of the Holy Spirit, which is not bound by flesh. And it would manifest itself with both speaking and hearing language. Language. Discernible languages. Now, now right away somebody said, well, if that's the way where you can hang yourself, I think you're about to offend me. There's that verse in Corinthians, and I know this verse in Corinthians. And I know this verse in Corinthians. And Paul deals with this verse in Corinthians. When he says, even though I speak with the tongue of men, and angels. And angels. If I don't have love, so what? Interesting. So I'm, I'm about to maximize the gift of languages here. But Paul says there, there is this angelic language which, well, no human knows it. Because we don't speak angel. <laughs> we speak South Philly. <laughs> or whatever you speak. Now, our middle daughter and her husband, they speak of Keith. Keith is speaking good old boy. <laughs> His form of English now. Uh, whatever you speak, but this, this language of angels. And somehow, here's my frustration. In our culture, in the 21st century, we've left off speaking the gospel, the good news to people in discernible languages because it's more fun for me, it's more fun for us individually, personally to say the Holy Spirit came and, and, and I'm uttering this, this what did God say to you or what is God saying to me? I, I don't know, but this is beautiful. I, I don't know. In fact, big detour, but 30 seconds. That's chapter 12, verse 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. The Apostle Paul says, look, if you're going to speak in the angelic language, keep it brief and make sure there's always someone to interpret. It's like chapter 14. Don't let 37 people do that when you come to worship. Two or three. Two or three. 
Not, not endless, it's just that. Two or three, and make sure there's an interpreter. Because the goal is not to have an ecstatic experience. The goal is not to have some emotional rush. The goal is to communicate the truth of God. Even if it's an angelic language. And Paul makes that point. Now, there's this other question moving. Well, that gives so much. This is a bit, has it run its course? Been taken away, come to an end. Well, I have a personal opinion, but quite honestly, I'm not sure it matters. Right. Because if our focus was, no, I need to hear from God, it's nice that I can hear from God through you with a discernible language or an angelic language. It's nice that I can hear from God through you, but, but I need to hear from God in ways that I can comprehend. So again, the focus is, let's take the focus off of us and put the focus on, 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 on what God has to say to us. Yeah. And boy, do we have this amazing, very strong tendency to turn church into a song about me. So it's all about me. Sing the songs that I like. And tell the stories of the Bible that I like. And leave out the ones that are cruel and harsh and defending. And, and let's make it about me. And, and, well, if it's making about me, then this wouldn't be the Lord's church. This would be my church. Right. Right. And we even have a 21st century, uh, largely white, upper middle class church. But we've not been called to have an all about us church. We're called to have the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to hear what he has to say. And he can speak to whatever means he chooses. I want to hear what God is saying. If I don't understand it, someone needs to help me understand it. And that's, that's what we do for one another. So he gave them the gift of languages. This is, by the way, if you're familiar with Old Testament history and the big, the old overarching view of Scripture, this is the opposite of the Tower of Babel. God said, go multiply. They said, we ain't going nowhere. I'll stay right here. He says, well, then I'll spread you. And he gave them different languages. They couldn't understand each other. I guess that means most of them were married. <laughs> nice little joke there. They couldn't understand each other, so those that could understand, those six or eight, they went this way, and these six or eight went this way, and now all of a sudden there's these multiple languages. But for the spread of the gospel, Jesus does the opposite, and he gives all of us the ability to speak in languages, so in all, that's what Jesus is about. That's just what happened 50 days ago. Death, burial, and resurrection. Oh, now I get it! Because someone explained it to me in my own language. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now in the printed notes, I'm, I'm, I'm skipping down verse 17, but I've mentioned to you verses 5 went down and mentioned the list of those 15 different nations. And let's go right to verse 17. This is now Peter's preaching. The reason, the reason Peter's preaching, not because this was a planned event. In verse 10 and 11, it's not on the screen, but if your Bible's open, you can look at it real quick. In verse 10 and 11, so they're debating, what's going on, what's going on? And, 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 and Peter says, well, this is the work of God, and, and this gift has come so, so we can speak in your language, more or less, at the moment of simplification, at the end of it. 
He changed me at my core. Old things have passed away. Everything's new. I, I don't know what to tell you other than that, but I'm a new creature. Wow! That's miraculous. The new birth is miraculous. It's not just big religion. I was raised Memphis, but now I'm a Baptist. They had to dunk me. <laughs> That's not miraculous. I was a no-tap. Now I'm just a Episcopalian like J.B. <laughs> That's religion. We're talking about miraculous work. And they begin to tell those things. And everyone heard it in their own language. And that's the conversation that's permeating all around the outside area of the temple and in the temple. And it's just going on. And people go, what is happening? What is happening? And Peter says, oh, I can tell you, this is what's going on. And he begins to explain it. And when we pick up the passage, verse 22, he says, well, let me tell you about Jesus. This is Peter. Acts 2.22 Jesus of Nazareth, a man proven, attested by you, by mighty works and wonders and signs. This Jesus, 23, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified. How about next Easter, next year Easter, when you bring your neighbors and family and friends and people that come to church on Christmas and Easter and well, I'm, I'm always fighting the, the tendency to give a shot to people who only come on Christmas and Easter. I'm glad they come at least Christmas and Easter. How about if next Easter when they come I'll say, hey, all you people that have come on here on Christmas and Easter, you're the ones that put Jesus to death. <laughs> That's what Peter's saying. see you people every feast day seven times a year. They don't ever go to synagogue at home and get all holy on the seven feast days roll up here and do them like you know something. <laughs> you people killed Jesus! Wow. This Jesus, Acts 2, 23, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by hands of all this man. But God raised him up. And then verse 25, he moves to King David. Now this Jewish crowd may not have been too crazy about Jesus right now. Because they thought he was a fraud. But they loved them some King David. This Jewish crowd loved King David. And so it's in Acts chapter 2, but he's quoting Psalm 16. For David says, verse 25, I saw the Lord before him. David said, My right hand, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh holds at home. You will not abandon my soul. God, you will not abandon my soul, David said. David said, You will not abandon my soul. Let your Holy One see corruption. Wait, did David just call himself a Holy One? But we'll get back to that. 28. You've made known to me the path of life. You make me fall gladness with your presence. That's what David says in Psalm 16. But watch. Watch Peter's insight. Watch Peter's explanation. Watch Peter, by revelation of the Holy Spirit, explain what David is saying in Psalm 16. This is the beauty of spirit-inspired preaching. Yeah. Yeah. Brothers, verse 29, 
I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb was with us to this day. King therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw, verse 31, and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. When David says what he said and uses the word me in Psalm 16, he's not talking about himself in a prophetic way. He's talking about Jesus. Verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That the Christ was not abandoned to Hades for hell. Nor did the flesh of Christ see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. Verse 34, David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says to the Lord, to the Lord said, My Lord, Father, speaking to the Son, you sit on my right hand until I make your enemies my your little footstool. And no doubt there were some people that said, You are an idiot. And there was a bunch of other people said, that's what that means. Oh my goodness, that's what that means. And the only reason someone would believe this and understand this and, and it all come together is because not only is the Holy Spirit helping all these other Christians speak in languages they've never studied before, the Holy Spirit is now enabling people to comprehend what they have never understood before. And they hear the gospel in their own language. And, 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 and life happens. Life happens. The light comes on. Now, we sing old country western songs kind of making a joke. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. There's nothing sarcastic or funny about that. He's talking about Jesus. Now, like all good preachers, the goal is to make some application, verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know. Know for certain. This is the point. This, this is the point. The exaltation of Christ. Verse 4, we get a hint. God is doing what he's doing in verse 1, 2, 3, and especially verse 4. He's sending this power so that the gospel will just explode. It's not just one person telling this truth. And then, but I trained the twelve, but if the twelve don't have really eleven, if the eleven don't have the Holy Spirit, then they, they, their heads filled with knowledge, but the Spirit doesn't enable them. It's good for you that I go away. Because when I'm, when I'm going away, now the Holy Spirit will come, and I've trained you eleven. And you will train others who will tell two friends, who will tell two friends, and so on, and so on, and so on. And here we are. Someone told us, and the Spirit of Christ has come to us, and now we're telling people. And that's what's happening in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Christ Jesus of Nazareth, Him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Yes, 
Yes. You're guilty of for a span of your life rejecting him. Yes, you did that. Yes, you're guilty of that. But yes, you can be forgiven. Yes, you have to stay in that spot. Yes, there's still hope. Thirty-seven. When they heard this, when the crowd heard that, they said, "You got some nerve talking to us like this? We're the sons of Abraham." That's not what they said. When they heard this, thirty-seven, they were cut to the heart. That's really an awkward way. How do you say it? It, it was like the truth of God pierced my soul. Isn't this what Hebrews means? That the word of God, the scriptures, are sharper than a, a, a two-edged sword? It's so precise that it could theoretically separate bone from its marrow. How did you do that? It's like the surgical work of the Holy Spirit, taking the truth of the scriptures and applying it to you in such a way that, oh, yeah, that's true. I am in trouble. I need forgiveness. That's what's happening on the day of Pentecost. People heard the gospel in their own language because the Holy Spirit enabled them to speak in languages they had never studied before. But on the other side, on the receptive end of that, people who never understood the gospel said, that's what all this stuff means. I've been going to temple every Sabbath. I've been doing all this stuff. I never looked. That's what all this means. And the light came on for them. In the light because the Holy Spirit's at work. Both in the speaker and in the receiver. Can can I waste three minutes with you here? A funny little me and my dad story. So we're we're at some kind of fifth Saturday meeting. They had meetings for everything, everything. so it's, it's summertime, there's no air conditioning, but you gotta wear a tie and a long sleeve shirt, because, you know, if, if, how do we know you feel the Holy Spirit if you have a tie and a long sleeve shirt? <laughs> <laughs> so Dad had a guy, he wore a jacket, but he just took his jacket off, and, 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 and he rolled his sleeves up, and some of the old ladies got uncomfortable when he did that. He loosened his tie, and he soaked through. He's so through. And the windows are up, and, and back here on one of these corners, uh, the, the screen was ripped. And there's some wasps flying around in the house. Now, last Wednesday night here, the, some big, nasty looking uh, demonic thing came <laughs> and, 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 oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And, and, and Bill saved all of us. Put his life at risk, and he's going to be but in my story, my little kid, my dad's preaching, they ain't no air conditioning, everyone's soaking wet, and this, this wasp got in, and people just ignored it. People just ignored it. And dad's making his point, he's not preaching on the day of Pentecost, but he's making his point of, about sharing the gospel that we have to transmit, and then someone has it, got to be received. Transmission and reception. I remember this vividly. Transmission and reception. Just now remember this story. Transmission and reception. And just as you're making the point about reception, some old guy who, who, who may have been asleep, the wash stung him because you know you feel something and you swat at it, and then when you swat at it, it's stung him on the ear, and they go, ah! <laughs> and in that instant, that's all happens. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. That was a transmission and that was a reception. <laughs> 
the question. How are you doing at receiving the words of truth? As you read them in the scripture, or a Christian friend explains them to you, or a better preacher than me opens the scriptures to you. How are you receiving them? I think we have some some level of responsibility to speak in ways that can be understood. But I will tell you, the ultimate, the ultimate solution to a lack of reception is not me watering it down, making it more simple, leaving off my goofy, silly childhood stories. No, what makes people receive is the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enabled not just Peter to preach, but as he's preaching, the other 120, there were 120 Christians there. They're sharing their stories. They're talking to people all over the place. In the temple, outside the temple, this is just conversations going on all over the place. But it's not just giving them the power to speak. It's giving other people the power to hear. That God is giving them ears to hear. And that phrase is all over the New Testament. You find a quote in the book of Romans. And we pray, God, please open their ears. Give them ears that hear the gospel. Verse 37, Peter's preaching. This Peter who denied that he even knew who Jesus was. But now the Spirit of God has come. He knows he's forgiven no matter what he did, but he knows he's forgiven. And God does not hold our past against us. Think that through. Yeah. Praise the Lord. And this broken Peter, shameful Peter, is now preaching the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And someone says, I love verse 37, Brothers, what shall we do? So I'm, I'm preaching away, I'm preaching away, I'm preaching away. John said, well, what are we supposed to do? That happened to me one time in prison. I was in the Saints prison ministry, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm just being Dave, and I, I got caught up, and I'm, I'm preaching, I'm preaching, I'm preaching, and there was a pause, and, and a guy said, so what are we supposed to do? And I thought in that millisecond, wow, this is a beautiful moment. God, thank you. I'm, I'm living in Acts chapter 2. This is beautiful. I said, I'll tell you what you got to do. Verse 38, that's what Peter said. Repent. Repent. Let me tell you, repent does not mean to grovel. Oh, I'm so sinful. It's going to take like 35 minutes. You know what I've done. Repent doesn't mean to grovel. Repent means it's literally a change of direction. So the illustration is, is, is this, so you can envision a, a group of soldiers, doesn't matter what branch, they're marching, 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 and the drill instructor, the, the sergeant, whoever says, and we all know when he says face, you plant that other toe, you spin around, and you go in the opposite direction. That's repentance. I was going this way, and now I'm going this way. I was going away from God, and now I'm going towards God. That's repentance. Some people cry, some people don't cry at all. Some people laugh with joy because you mean I can be forgiven? You don't know where I've been. Yes, yes. 
and there's joy and it comes with laughter. Sometimes joy comes in, in, in sorrow and tears. And, and, and there's sometimes it's just just quiet, silent, somber. I can't believe this is happening to me. <clears throat> Repentance is not a you can't measure with this emotion, this emotion, this emotion, a lot of emotion, very little emotion. We're all different by personality, but what you can measure is fruit. Now, the person operated the prayer. My life didn't change, but I repeated the prayer. Well, you didn't repent. You didn't repent. Because repentance means a change of course, a change of direction. I used to live for myself. Now I live for Jesus. I'm holy. Now he was. I, 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 I used to live with my agenda. Now I live with his agenda. Not because I'm a pastor, because I'm born of his spirit. Repented. I didn't grovel and write 10 million different forgive me cards, so I would still be writing them. I changed direction. Well, I didn't change. He changed direction. You know that old country song, Jesus, take the wheel? That's it. Still answering the question, what do we do? 37. Well, we repent. And get baptized. Not that baptism is like salvation part B. No, it's, it, it's putting a wedding ring on. It's not, oh, yeah, let's get married. I ain't put a wedding ring on. I don't tell anybody I got married. I mean, I don't want to you know, ruin my image, cramp my style while I'm a player. No, I'm not a player no more. I'm a one-woman man. Proud to be. Baptism is saying, I, I died, death, burial, resurrection. I died to my old life. An old Dave is buried and gone. There's a new Dave in town. And this Dave loves Jesus. Repent. But no one can see you. I, I can't read your heart. We can deceive one another and cover up and look good. So to give everyone an indication that no, I'm, I'm, I'm something's happened. I'm, I'm different. Let me get baptized. Uh, I think they'll see it better by when well, you, you quit murmuring about your wife. You quit provoking your children to wrath. But if you're looking for a ceremony, it would be baptism. Repent. Let people see that you're a new creature. But he continues to answer the question, verse 39. Look, this, this promise of new life, eternity with Jesus, sins washed away, conscience cleared, this promise of eternal life is for you. He's speaking to a largely Jewish crowd. And then he, as if he can catch himself, like preachers do, so I've got to say that again. I've got to say that a different way. And he says it about four different ways here in verse 39. This promise is for you. Yeah, but it's not just for you. This promise is for you and your children. This, this promise is just for you. This promise is for other people that you influence. People, your children, your spouse, the people that work for you, your neighbor, your, your sphere of influence, your circle of, 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 of impact. This isn't just for you. This is for people around you, your children. Uh, that's, that's not even a 
that make the point. And Peter runs to that. And Peter heard John say that, by the way, in the end of the Gospel of the Lord, standing right there. Peter picks up that principle here in verse 40 when he says, many other words. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying. So Luke ends Peter's sermon in verse 39. But he tells us in verse 40 that Peter kept on preaching. Luke tells us in verse 40, Peter kept on preaching. Just like we don't know literally everything Jesus said. He did, we did enough. This is the essence of his message. And you have, you've got here next to the essence of Peter's message. Although he kept on preaching in verse 40, that encourages me because if I want to do anything, I want to keep on preaching. <laughs> you want to go home. So Luke says, well, I, I'm not going to tell you anymore. It, you know, I've got 13 more chapters with many other words. But here's the essence of the other words. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. Save yourself. Save yourself. But that was what he ended, from this corrupt generation. Jesus has come to save us. And we think, oh, ain't no saving, I'm fine. Okay. Then fine. Go be fine. I'm not being cruel, I'm not being nasty, I'm not going to argue with you. You think you're fine? Then go be fine. I happen to believe, my first opinion, that none of us are just fine. But it's futile for me to try to convince you of how wretched you are. So we're going to offend you, separate us. You're going to label me for something I'm not. I'm guilty about things, but I don't hate people. My goal is not to ruin their self-image. If you think you're fine, then go be fine. But when the Spirit of Christ comes and we see His beauty, all of a sudden you see His beauty, then whatever you're holding on to, it ain't all that. And that'll kick in real deeply. I've, I've, I've seen some beautiful landscapes in, in my life and in couple times I've thought and maybe said out loud, can't be anything more beautiful than that. Can't be anything more beautiful than that. And then sure enough, I, I, I'm, I'm traveling and I see something else and I'm oh my goodness, can't be anything more beautiful than that. We think we're good because compared to your neighbors, you're amazing. And, and you think you're good at work because you have some level of responsibility and everyone beneath you is crazy. So they think you're wonderful. You start to believe you're wonderful. So, so you think everything's great. They love me at work. My wife didn't put me out. My husband's still with me. Kids come home. We're, we're doing okay. We're good. Until you see Jesus. Oh, I'm not good at all. And that's when he begins to call us. Come unto me, all you that believe. I'm just trying to get good. I'm trying to be better. And have you experienced the hard trying, the more futile it becomes? I, I, why do I just keep going back to my disgusting act? I'm disgusting. I'm like, what's wrong with me? 
broken. We're broken. And when I see his love and his mercy and compassion, he doesn't come with, with he, 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 this is not grade school. And, 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 you know, you get smacked on the back of the head when I was in grade school. Or you get a ruler on your knuckles or, or whatever. You bend over and grab your ankles. And it's coming. No, that's not Jesus. He gets down on level. He, he bends. He kneels. He, he, he gets on an ear. And he says, look, no one's ever paid for your sin. I have paid for your sin. A few human beings, they learn forgiveness from me. But I just keep on forgiving. And I keep on forgiving. And I keep on forgiving. And I never stop. And all of a sudden, I begin to realize. I know my mom and dad love me deeply, but they don't love me like Jesus does. I think my wife loves me, but I, I don't think she loves me like Jesus does. So, this is the old gospel song came to life through the Lord Jesus. And when that clicks in, when that truth, when by the Holy Spirit we see that truth, all of a sudden, I think God himself is calling me into a relationship with him. This is what he said to Nicodemus, I need to be born again. I was born in the flesh, I need to be born of the spirit. He's going to take away my sinful heart. He's going to give me a righteous, clean, spiritual beating heart. Not the muscle in my chest, but, but even my soul. He's going to give me new life. Yeah, that's exactly what he's going to do. That's what happened to 3,000 people in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Towards the end of the chapter, just 3,000 people on that day were born of the Spirit. You know why? Because the Spirit came and enabled someone to speak. And it also came and enabled some people to hear. And not to be crude with you, but to give you the perfect illustration. When egg and sperm come together, life happens. And when spirit and truth comes together, new life happens. And that would never happen if it weren't for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And forgive the jab, but I'm weary and annoyed and sad that we take the beautiful ministry of the Holy Spirit and we use it like some little some little trinket we pull out of our, our pocket and we rub it and we have some ecstatic moments and there's the power of the Holy Spirit and we put it back in our pocket the next time. That is not the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's life giving truth. And it captures us in such a way that we're able to speak it with joy. On levels, be it an actual learned language or or an emotional dialect. We speak in terms that people comprehend. We give idioms and, and illustrations that they get. Because the Spirit enables us to speak their language, literally or conceptually. And the light comes on. And he enables them to, oh, I get this. This is what that means. Yes, that's what that means. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we get to be participants in this great, this great thing that God is doing. 
and endure and persevere and stay at it like the Holy Spirit does. I'm telling you that you can't be Christian without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think America is filled with people who call themselves Christian. And all they know about the Holy Spirit is someone's abuse of the Holy Spirit or misuse totally of the Holy Spirit. And they, I don't have to do that. And I would say to you, neither do I. But I want the real deal actually to the Holy Spirit. It makes me unashamed of the gospel and preach like Peter did. It makes me loving and patient with people if they're starting to figure this out. The Holy Spirit's dealing with them. I want the Holy Spirit to enable me to speak, but I know I need the Holy Spirit to make people able to comprehend. And when those two come together, life occurs. Life occurs. And it shouldn't be refreshing to see a lot of new life occurring as a result of our lives interacting with one another and unbelievers around us that we know and love. In our own homes, where we work, in the neighborhood, to see the life. When these two factors, the Holy Spirit working here and the Holy Spirit working here, and the sperm penetrates the egg with life, there's that, that magical, mystical, divine moment. Life just happened. Right there. We get to be a part of that. We get, we get to be a part of that. I should have closed five minutes ago. Really, one last thing. We're all looking for significance somewhere. We get it from our jobs. We get it from the woman on our arm. We get it from how well behaved, well dressed our children are, how many degrees they got, and how they got all the words on the wall. We're always looking for significance. I'm telling you, I found my significance, not because I'm a pastor, because I'm a Christian. I found my significance in this. I want to be a good husband. I want to be a good father, grandfather. I, 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 you may not think it. I want to be a good pastor. You may not see it. Here's what I want. Here's my significance. That I get to be a part of what God is doing across the globe. Speaking the truth to people with love and mercy and compassion, not just from a pulpit, but across the dinner table, in your backyard, riding down to Annapolis for the sailboat show every October. That's some holy ground right there. <laughs> or wherever I'm in close proximity with someone, we have an opportunity to talk about life. And sooner or later, gets around to Jesus. And I can speak and language that can stand and the Holy Spirit, and you can tell. Uh, this is this is going over. Let's change the subject. This, this, these fish ain't right. There are times really dead, really, yes. Well, what about this? And now I'm not asking questions now, I'm answering theirs. Because the Holy Spirit is opening hearts and opening eyes. You try to live your life apart from the Holy Spirit. You're setting yourself up for some crazy ongoing disappointment. I found great joy and significance by saying, okay, God, what do you have for me today? 
Who are we going to encounter today? What, what's, what's the conversation going to be today? And sometimes it's the day of Pentecost. Wow, look at what God did here! Eyes were opened. Truth was, was given. And, and it all came together. Yes, it was a beautiful moment. And the other days, it's not so much. What kind of life do you want? Significance from other things or significance that counts for eternity? That's where we are on the day of Pentecost. What do you want? This is what Jesus is bringing to us. Yeah, he's just making us do his work. We have to be evangelists. Wow, just hear that. Just hear that emotion. He's making us do his work. We got to do everything for him. I'm trying to go on do this and this and this and this and this. Well, I'm telling you that all of the other things I went on and did never gave me a sense of purpose. Like, Almighty God has called and commissioned me not to be a pastor, but to be his light and to be his salt everywhere I go. Not because I'm a pastor, but I'm born again. God himself is going to call into my life. Come on, think that through. God himself is saying, come on with me. Give me a new life. Don't blow your socks off. Just go, come on, come with me. I'll make you fishers of men. You want to go? Okay, let's go. You're not ready yet? Well, we're still praying. I'm still praying. I want you to get on board. I don't think you'll have joy anywhere else. Not as full as you'll have it here. Come with me. I'll change you forever. Say with me this morning.